Ladies and gentlemen, this is Book Music. I am Tosh. And I'm Kimley. And every episode, we focus on one book on music. It could be about music history, it could be a memoir or a biography of a musician or somebody in the music figure, even sometimes fictional characters who are musicians or composers, etc., etc. But today, we're going to focus on a book called A Band Was Built in Hate, The Who, From Pop Art to Punk, published by Reaction Books, and the author is Peter Stanfield. And Peter Stanfield is our guest. Welcome, Peter. Hello. I'm glad you got me on, on the show. We're happy to have you on the show. Um, Kimley and I love this book. Um, I'm, I'm sort of obsessed with um, 60s British culture in general for some, for, for American, I'm not sure why. I don't, I don't, it, it could be some psychological damage of some sort I experienced in my past, <laughs> but, but, you know, I find bands like the Kinks and the Who um, and the early Rolling Stones period, like really fascinating. So this book really speaks to me culturally. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for this present. That's very interesting to hear. <laughs> um, how 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 would you define your book on on the Who, or is it is it about the Who? What's what what is your book about? Um, I think it's about the the ideas that have, have, have driven the Who um, across that period of time from um, the the, the mid sixties to the to the mid nineteen seventies, and and. If one thing makes them stand out from all of the other bands, that they they were always idea driven. Yes, um, I mean obviously that's a lot down to Pete Townsend, but um, I think even as a collective, they they do things that are uh, entirely unique um, and, and are still unique to this day. I think. So, do you consider yourself a, a Who fan? Uh, yeah, <laughs> even more so. Uh, I, I was already a Who fan when I started the book or, uh-huh. uh, and started to research it, but became much more of one um, as, as, as I moved, moved forward. And, and, and I'm still finding just uh, extraordinary bits of pieces uh, 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 that um, uh, was produced in their heyday that um, I missed when I was doing the research. There was a, there's, I just grabbed this paper. Mm-hmm. So this is a very kind of sort of John Savage thing, but it's the Record Mirror from which is one of the, the weekly British papers uh-huh. uh, from 19, um, 1965. and it's got the Who on the front page. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, John N. Twizzle's wearing his uh, wearing the, the Union Jack uh, jacket. The rest of them all looking very kind of Californian casual with button down shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, the newspaper, it's only about eight, eight pages long um, and doesn't actually have anything about the who on the inside. So the, 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 the image on the front is very much just a kind of a poster for cutting out and sticking on your wall uh-huh. or in your scrapbook. But it says it's got this wonderful quote at the bottom of the, this, this, this image that, you know, is obviously around the time my generation was, was released. It says, the who, colourful to see and hear, and probably the only group whose records disintegrate halfway through. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, well, you know, I love this idea that they're pop. Yeah. And they're also something else. Yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. not, it's, they, it's not that they have to be one thing or the other. They can just be these, these, these two ideas can, co- can coexist, or at least they can coexist with, 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 the, with the who. Um, so that's really what, what, what 
continues to fascinate, I think. I'm always a bit wary about reading a, a new book on a classic band because, you know, so much has already been written about them. But I feel like you really did bring a new perspective to this in that this isn't really a book about the history of the band per se, but you focus more on their artistic influences more than say their musical influences. Mm. And you sort of contextualize them in the art world of the time, specifically the pop art world. So can you talk about a little bit about that, how you chose yeah, to focus well, that, on that? Well, that's, it partly comes out because I'm a fan. I've, I've, I've read a lot of the, 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 the histories and some of them are, you know, extraordinarily good, you know, the Dave Marsh history, for, for example, Mm-hmm. Um, but the more you read, the more you realise you're just in a world of kind of um, repetition. The, the stories may be told well or, or, or not so well, but you're, you're, it's the same stories again and again. And so right. you, you, you constantly hit this thing, the Who were a pop art group. And then you get like a paragraph maybe explaining what pop art is, you know, and you'll chuck in a few, a few names, Warhol or whoever, and, and, and then very quickly move off to the next release. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 they're just not that interested right. in this concept of pop art and how it applies to the to the band. So I, I really started with that issue, I suppose, which was well, well, how should we think of them as a pop art band? What is a pop art band? How does that fit in with them, with pop art as it was understood at the time? And, of course, clearly they're, 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 they're exploiting um, the notion, you know, they're, they're going to... Um, you know, make um, capital out of it. But but I, as the more I looked, the more I realised actually they were doing something much more profound than that. And that I actually think they add something truly important to 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 the mix and and take what was by 1965-66 a pretty moribund uh, form of um, endeavour. Um, I think it pop art pretty much done all it was ever going to do visually. Mm-hmm. Um, by by that point in and um, that point in time, but um, in terms of sonically doing something, that <laughs> hadn't gone anywhere. And and the Who, uh, I think, um, you know, gives give give something really vital back to the to, to the concept. Uh, obviously, the Pete Townsend was is a very reflective person. I mean, he thinks a lot. Mm. Uh, it seems like he thinks more than anybody else of his generation, in a sense about the importance of pop music and his role in pop music and, and also about his audience, you know, uh, a lot, which at the time was, I presume was the mods. Yes. Yes. Initially, I think that's, that, that, that's, that's right. And um, we should be, which is essentially just young Southeast English kids that have a particular predilection for kind of dressing up and going out and having a good time on, uh, Friday, Friday night through to Sunday morning, um, <laughs> um, not not the kind of more kind of rarefied idea of mod that we've now um, uh, that we that we now labour under. But if, if if you watch the little film um, that um, uh, Kit Lambert made of, of, uh-huh. the, of the of the Who's audience, it's it's extraordinary how how young they are, but also how young the Who were and how yeah. little. Mm-hmm. There's really little that differentiates them. They wear the same gear, uh-huh. uh, move very in very similar kind of ways, uh, and and very interestingly, the the, the the audience doesn't seem much interested in the band at all. No. <laughs> much more interested in just you know, uh, you know. the mates. So uh-huh. it, uh, just I, I find the whole the whole relationship that the 
who have with their audience extraordinary and it's one that's you know really kind of continues to define them even to today they have a very ardent following um, I think it's much changed obviously it's obviously got incredibly older but but um, at least you know in in through through the 60s up until they were playing big tours in, of the states and um, doing ever bigger venues you know the they were constantly talking, well, Townsend anyway, was constantly talking about the, the audience and what the band's relationship was, mm. was with that audience. Um, it, it, it's not fixed. It, it doesn't stay the same. You always talk about the audience as being very um, being very male. But in actual fact, if you look at any uh, the, uh, photographs that were taken of the, the band and its audience in the, up to about um, 69, it was I know, it looks predominantly female to me. Um, uh, mm. Certainly in front of the... Uh, the front at the front of front of the stage. Um, so I, I I think there's there's points you can come in at, uh, anywhere of in that kind of ten year uh, window that I'm I'm interested in, and um, the Who will tell you something about what what the audience were like at that point in time, and and the audiences will tell you something about the Who. I think. Were the Who like a reflection of the mod culture, or is it sort of vice versa? Like who discovered? Who? I mean, no pun intended. But like, uh, yeah. I well, um, I, I'm. I mean, the, the the way that the story goes, it, that they were discovered by Pete Meaden, who was one of the kind of ace faces uh, uh, of the mod scene, and then were restyled. And I think that's that's probably absolutely true. They were a kind of pretty standard uh, village hall um, R and B band, you know, that uh-huh. would have made fairly competent records if they had a decent producer, but but would wouldn't have had a particular uh, strong selling point. Um, and he obviously, you know, restyled them and, and in that moment they, they found themselves. But I think it's a, their, their relationship to mod is a bit like um, their relationship to pop, pop art, that it, there, there is a definite exploit, exploitative side to, to, to that relationship. I mean, they are jumping on the bandwagon, so to speak, of this latest um, English uh, teenage mm-hmm. fad. Uh-huh. But very quickly, they become leaders in it as well. So it's it's the the way that um, things shift and change with the Who. It's it's, it's not it's, they're never fixed and static, and that's one of the things that that fascinates. I think it does. You know, it's interesting. The Who are like really four separate. I mean, that band is not consistent in in the same personality. Um, they're very much different from each other. Yes, and yes. you know, it's kind of interesting. You know, like the Beatles, I think, are kind of singular to me. The Rolling Stones are kind of singular. Even the Kinks are kind of, a, you know, they have those, they're going the same path. But the Who seems to be chaos in the making. Yeah, I think it's that that, that combustibility that they, that they have, that they're not going to last very long. Of course, well, that's the, they always ride these contradictions, too, because they've lasted as long as anybody. And as a kind of coherent four-piece, you know, that with all four original members, they lasted until Keith Moon died, which was longer than any other mm-hmm. 60 band, I think, you know, everybody else had uh, personnel changes, but they didn't, even though they looked like they would probably not last to the end of the first week. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and, 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 and of course, those, those, those four faces, those four aspects of, of, of the band, which is another thing that just makes them endlessly fascinating, because individually, I don't think you really want to spend much time with any of them, well, <laughs> but, but collectively, they just, they are something else, you know, uh, uh, really, truly extraordinary. Do you know anything about Pete Meadham? We were just talking about it, but Pete uh, Meadham, is that his name? 
Yeah, uh, not not more than um, uh, than is kind of generally known. I don't. I didn't find out anything um, hmm. uh, particularly. He. I mean, he's often talked as their kind of manager, but I, I, it, it seems to me he was kind of more like a kind of facilitator, somebody that was uh-huh. working with them and um, was very quickly moved aside by uh, Kit Lambert and Chris yeah. Camp. Um, and then he would he would go on and work with uh, Gino Washington and the Ram Jam Band, which were a kind of um, British based uh, soul 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 um, uh-huh. group uh, that were much loved by mods. And, and eventually, the Steve Steve Gibbons Band, who would tour with the Who in the in the seventies. Huh. He stayed within the in the, within the, the 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 music scene, but I, I think he had all sorts of kind of like most of them drug and alcohol problems. But um, I, I he. It's clear to me for what he did afterwards, you know, uh-huh. he, he was uh, the who were going to quickly surpass whatever he uh, had to offer them and move on to something else. So he sold the contract to um, their contract, the management contract to um, Chris Stamp and uh, Kit Lambert. Is that correct? Yeah. Even, even I don't even I'm not even sure that the, the, uh-huh. the contract was worth the whatever paper it was written on, but they they kind of bought him out just to sure, yes. Yeah. And what was the interest of Stamp and Lampert in the Who? I mean, because they were filmmakers, you know, they, they did this documentary on on sort of youth culture. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I th- I think the um, I think this it, it's really important to remember that that's where they 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 come from. They come from very different back backgrounds. You know, one 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 is a son of a, a tugboat captain, but the brother of Terence Stamp, the film star. Yeah. So he's then mm-hmm. lad. Or we're always told about it, but you know he's he's he's, he's got his brother as a role model, uh, and 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 a brother that ensures that he has access to the film industry, which is a pretty much a closed shop in Britain at that time. And then Kit Lambert, who's who's um, you know comes from a very well-to-do, very highly cultured um, family. His uh, father was Constant Lambert, a classical musician and composer. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, he 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 moves towards. Um, Filmmaking as 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 well, um, and they're both really they're they're intrigued by filmmaking because it's it, it really is the it is the art of the moment. You've got to remember that the point at which they're working within the British film industry, the the, the French New Wave is exploding, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and, and all of the kind of uh, advances in um, uh, European cinema that's going on, and they're looking across the channel, uh, and in fact. Um, Lambert goes and studies in 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 Paris uh, at a film school. They're looking and seeing, you know, what Truffaut and, and Godard and uh, Chabrol of of are, 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 are doing, and they want some of that. They they mm-hmm. they, they 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 believe that they can uh, uh, can be contenders, if you like, mm-hmm. make something mm-hmm. of themselves through 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 film. So they're working in the British film industry, but they're doing very kind of low level. Um, Jobs. Um, they don't really. They don't tend to get any credit on the films that they work. They're assist, mm. called assistant directors, but I mean, they're basically runners, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. up the, the the ladder, that perhaps I'm just simply um, a runner. But um, but anyway, it gives them a sense that you know this is something that they could um, they, they they could make their mark, make their name, make some money, um, and have a good time with. Uh, and um, so they're looking around what to do, and obviously they, they don't have the support of a big film company, and um, they have limited access to to um, to the technology that you need in order to make a film. Um, uh, and, and 
obviously the youth culture post Beatles and Hard Day's Night, you know, it's 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 a fairly obvious move that they that they make. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also, I think they've got some really interesting um, precedents to work off of, which is uh, the the free cinema, which was uh, um, led by uh, Lindsay Anderson and Tony Richardson, mm-hmm. Carol Rice, um, all of people that would become really significant players within. Um, and British film culture and through, through the 60s and into the into the 70s. And they started off really as a kind of avant-garde um, uh, a, a, a group of, of, of filmmakers that wanted to use film to say something that was truthful. You know, they, they right. like French New Wave. They looked at British, like the French New Wave looked at French cinema. The, Brit, the Fries, mm-hmm. the, the Free Cinema people looked at British cinema and said it was, it was lies. Mm-hmm. And you needed to tell the truth, and you could, you could, you know, you could do that with a minimum amount of um, resources um, if you had the, the dedication to it. And um, so, documentaries is what they uh, mostly did. Mm-hmm. And I think so. They gave us a model, and they made some absolutely wonderful, wonderful, wonderful films. Um, and and uh, Lambert and Stamp basically took them as a, 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 as. Um, well, they followed them in, in, mm-hmm. in looking around for a subject which was was London's youth, and, and um, um, decided to make a, a, a film about mods. So they found their mods, and, they, and when they, <laughs> they found their band, um, and the band just obviously just uh, totally seduced them. <laughs> I think I can't think of any other word that would do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, they just were totally seduced by the band and, and they'd suddenly they so they moved from this idea of being making their mark through film to making their mark as as managers within the pop field and they had no knowledge of it whatsoever even less than they had about film and so they made it up as they went along and uh, but i think they brought a lot of what the ideas that they had about what film could be and what film could do uh to the way that they managed um uh uh, uh, uh the who it's really, you know, the relationship between Chris Damp and Kit Lambert, because at least on paper, they're so technically like sort of the opposite of each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. Lambert comes from a very cultured class. You know, you mentioned his father was a, comp- a well-known composer uh, yeah. and, and a music writer. And, and Chris Damp is, you know, from, you know, his brother is Terrence Damp. But, you know, he's, he's like a like an East End, you know, kid or, or you know, um, um, this is a, a different, you know, different class from uh, Kit Lambert. Um, they, they seem to have like a dynamic presence. Those two, you know, one's a rough guy, and one's the, you know, sort of the gay, aristocratic, yeah. you know, well-educated one. Um, how the how that relationship play in the Who, or how do like Pete Townsend relate to those them two as managers? Do, do, do you not think you can see it kind of mirrored back in the who? Mm-hmm. Cultured, cultured and rough, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, so they're rough rough trade, but are also, you know, in, in the halls of learning and, um, and culture. Um, I, 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 I think it works quite brilliantly in a sense. It's, you know, well, one of the kind of sub, one of the chapters is called Style and Attitude. And I, and I mm-hmm. think that that's what, two in combination bring and i think that's what the who take from them is this uh, this idea you know to you, you style alone is not enough you have to have attitude and attitude in itself isn't enough you have to have style and that's what to me that kind of sums up pop if you like or at least a very kind of like 
condensed version definition of pop style and attitude. The two have to go together. And I think Stamp, uh, Stamp and Lambert uh, had that. And they also suggested something which was about that uh, moment of uh, British meritocracy, you know, the collapsing of class boundaries. Right. Um, and Lambert would often talk about the Who as a kind of a, as a kind of criminal endeavour, larceny <laughs> uh-huh. in their hearts. And and the, the larceny really was about you know uh, uh, you know breaking into the halls of, um, of of you know breaking down the walls of culture, um, doing something extraordinary and different, and um, not just accepting your lot in life. And I think Who, as well as as well as any band. Uh, um, embody that. I mean, obviously, you can see it. the Beatles do it. Right, really they do. Um, it's one of the things that makes them so important, um, and why so many would follow after them because they they saw that as something that they wanted to em- emulate. And the Rolling Stones do that, but I think the the the, the, the who do it more violently, <laughs> <laughs> better humour than any of them. <laughs> well, like the relationship between Chris and Kit. I often think, like as a mirror image, is uh, Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend because Roger is kind of a, yes. uh, a sort of a, sort of more of a Chris Stamp type of person, and yes. I think Pete is more of a Kit Lambert, yes, type of person. I'm not sure about John and Keith Moon um, where they fall on this line, but but it's interesting okay. that their managers, are, that who they represent, it's it's sort of a mirror image of each other. Well, they, they kind of both, they, they um, I, I suppose their role is to undermine um, the kind of the ego of Roger Daltrey and also the ego of Pete, of Pete Townsend. So they, they, they make sure that neither of them get, be, uh, get above their station. Right. Whatever that be, I think. Um, and they're, they're saying for both of them in different ways, they, they come across to me as profoundly anti-intellectual and, um, uh, and of course, that's within the context of a band that is profoundly intellectual. Yeah. <laughs> so it, you know, it's dealing with these contradictions, I think, and trying to make sense of how these contradictions work. And the band, I think, somehow or other, understood that uh, ambivalence, ambiguity, contradiction—they were things that they could work with, and, and, and you know, it's fuel to their engine. Um, it's interesting, you know, a lot of the British musicians of that time period came from like art school. Yeah. Um, like, you know, Keith Richards, I think came, uh, uh, you know, Ray Davis and the yes. Kings, uh, Pete Townsend, of course. Mm-hmm. But I felt that uh, of art school, that the, the, the one who's most effective of that generation is Pete Townsend, because he seems to take the visual art world and its philosophy very seriously um yeah, do, you, yeah. do you feel do you feel the same or do you or am I, yeah, no I, I i i would t- t- totally agree with that i think not until roxy music come along right that mm-hmm. so profoundly wears their art school um education on their sleeves um and um see i i mean i i i think you know he, he the way he theorized things was something was a, was a way of looking at the world that he clearly got from spending time around artists, right. um, uh, and of course, I think you know Kit Lambert would have would have fed that um, and too. But uh, I, I, I think that those that foundation moment for him in in uh, uh, Ealing Art School was um, absolutely crucial. 
yeah, I think it take, he takes it. He continues to have it with him right to this day. And, you know, when he was in art school, I guess he was a student of the artist uh, Gustav Metzger. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of a student. I, don't, I think he, I, um, I used to teach in an art school. These, these artists, they, they come in. Uh-huh. <laughs> they give you uh, 40 minutes of their wit and wisdom and then disappear off looking for, a, you know, someone to teach you. <laughs> um, they, they, they're a kind of, it's, it's, it's British art schools were, at least, you know, back in the 60s and 70s were... Uh, um, they weren't really halls of learning in any kind of mm. any way, but it, it was the kind of the social interaction, like-minded people coming together. And mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, yeah, I bet he did go for a, you know, beers, made shared joints with um, Metzger. But um, how much he actually took from him in those uh, uh, classes, and how much he uh, actually. Um, invented later on for his mm-hmm. own purposes. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure. Well, one of the things that you do talk a lot about is, I mean, The Who is rather notoriously known as the band who destroyed their instruments at the end of their mm. set. And you talk yeah. about this, and I think a lot of people maybe saw it initially as just sort of a visceral release and sort of a nihilistic fuck you to the world. But, um, yeah. you know, you point out that there's a lot more to it, and some of it relates to good stuff Metzger I think yeah and I think so they obviously did have a they did, they obviously did have a um a, a relationship of, of, of some kind they obviously did correspond or talk talk to one another and meet up and I I, I talk about um an, an event that Metzger and others um that taught Townsend put together around um auto destruction in art and they hoped uh, that the who would come along and and, and perform at this um Series of series of events, but um, Pete Townsend turned them down, and I think what's what's really interesting is that he turns them down for good reason, which he he actually thinks the limits of auto destructive art are um, uh, counterproductive. That is to say that the idea is fantastic, but when you actually see it in practice, <laughs> it kind of leaves you going, "Well, well, what's that about?" And you can just you can take the Mickey out of it and dismiss it very easily. Mm-hmm. One of the things you can't do. In the, in the kind of acts of auto-destruction that the Who perform is you can't dismiss them. <laughs> They're actually in that moment of, uh, of destruction. Um, they are undeniable. They are just, they, 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 they can't be dismissed and they can't be ignored. Um, they can't just be seen as a kind of uh, a, a, a fad or, a, a, or just a kind of um, self-regarding act by a lot of uh, um, pretentious artists. And I, I think it's kind of like when you watch, look at video of the, their kind of the the um, throwing um, uh, um, acid onto sheets of, uh, of, of 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 vinyl or what, whatever they do. It, it, the idea is much better than the than, than than the actual practice. But the who, the actual practice is way better than the idea. Uh, uh-huh. I see. Yeah. yeah, I see. Were they the first band to do that? As far as I know, yes, I don't. Yeah. I've never come across anybody else. Uh, others, others would imitate them, but not to that. Sure, the Kendricks, yeah. Kind of smashing up. I mean, obviously, bands came up, came along the time. You know, like the, the front of London calling with, with Paul Simon and smashing up mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. his, his um, bass is obviously referencing the Who, the Who in all sorts of kind of ways, but um, mm-hmm. not not the auto destructive side of, of of things. No, I don't. I I, I and again, I think you know, 
it's just Townsend's just smarter than most of you. Just he understands mm-hmm. it and he can explain it. And there's a piece in the in the book where um, the um, uh, you know they're going to uh, there's going to be a scene in Blow Up where where yeah. which is the Yardbirds get and uh, they imitate the Who. Um, mm-hmm. And the director said that he didn't want The Who because they meant too much. He didn't want a band that meant too much that would, you know, in a sense, distract from whatever it was, that, whatever, his right. agenda, whatever his agenda was. And um, um, if, you watch the, if you watch that sequence in, 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 in Blarb, which is fantastic, I, lo- I absolutely love the, the, mm-hmm. the Birds and I love that song, Train, uh, Train Kept Rolling, like, stroll on there. It's, it's just br- absolutely brilliant whatever version they do of it and jeff beck um starts to smash up you know he's getting some feedback that he doesn't want from from his stack and he he, he starts to poke it with his guitar and it gets worse so he just takes his anger out and smashes the guitar uh, um but that's not what townsend did no Townsend's um townsend had real intent he he, he was he, he was consciously making that act part of the music it wasn't a, it wasn't a noise it wasn't an irritant it was what the whole show was about yeah uh, uh, that 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 um that um that creation of noise and chaos i was very impressed watching uh, like an early video of them like in one of the nightclub uh, you know when they first started and they started using feedback how pete would uh sort of wave his body back and forth yeah. to cause the uh, you know cause more feedback, so it becomes a very physical thing. His body is actually like an instrument as well. That's 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 right. And it, it, it you, I found um, uh, uh, the guy who used to do the choreography on the the, the television pop television program Ready Steady Go mm-hmm. uh, wrote a very early review of Anywhere Anyhow, um, mm-hmm. and, and talked about their show and and about Townsend using two guitars. One just to, to create the feedback loop, and then the other one to kind of put noise on top of <laughs> on top of the loop, which, right. I, yeah, which is extraordinary, you know. So this is uh, you know early nineteen sixty five. Yeah, is, you know yeah. He, he, he's doing this, and and you know the, the the reviewer talks about it as music concrete, you know, as if it's mm-hmm. a, you know he literally recognizes its avant garde um, uh, potential or is or or, 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 or pretenses, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting. You're clearly attracted to this sort of high-low culture phenomenon, um, yeah. you know, this sort of eternal question of how do you define art? What mm. is it about this intersection of ideas that interests you? Um, well, like for, 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 for me, because I, my background's in studying, studying film, and I, 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 I love American popular movies, particularly of the mm-hmm. Thirties, uh, forties, and and fifties. I just um, and um, like all of those kind of critics, which kind of have Manny Farber at their kind of head. Uh, I think there's a kind of vitality within the popular that is lost from the high. It's not to say that mm-hmm. I, I also find pleasures in the in in the high, but I I like film as film, mm-hmm. and, and I like film. So therefore, I like film the moves. I like film with action in it, and whether that's a musical. Or a comedy, or or or, or, or a western, or a, a, a gangster movie, and so um, there's a kind of I I feel that I've kind of that I've kind of inherited the kind of legacy of people like Manny Farber, um, that uh, um, 
don't feel ashamed of finding something um, exciting within the popular, but also a set of ideas and a way of seeing the world that you wouldn't get if you only, you know, um, dealt with Shakespeare and, and, and the classics, the canon, so mm-hmm. to speak, um, or, you know, well-made ad- adaptations of, of, of classics. Um, and so looking at um, pop, pop music, I see I'm also kind of really out for the same kind of uh, thrills and the same sense, sense of adventure from, from, the, from the, the records that I, I, I really, really, really like. So I like it when they're kind of doing something that only a pop record can do. I, I, I celebrate its popness. Mm-hmm. Um, in, that, in, in, in that act of, of, of making a great pop record like um, I'm a Boy or mm-hmm. Lily, they're also doing something, you know, they're, 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 they're doing something else, which is, you know, they're, they're talking about uh, the, amb- the ambivalences and the uncertainties and the contradictions that lie at the heart of what it is to be... Um, uh, you know, a, a, a young person, um, and, and so they're saying something quite profound as well as something quite throwaway and ephemeral and um, silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you know, sort of this uh, pop culture can still very much speak to the human condition. Um, yeah. So I find it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Um, I think it's interesting for me. The Who almost seems to be sort of the first meta band. You know, they're so self-aware and constantly commenting on the complicated nature of being a pop star and sort of the contradiction of being somebody who's questioning the status quo, but then, you know, with success, they sort of become part of the status quo. And um, that's one of my favorite things about them, uh, especially I love the Who sell out. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think I, yeah, there's this idea of the, of the of a meta band, a band that comments on itself. It almost, it almost doesn't need a critic, does it? Right, right. <laughs> you know, it, does it, it does it itself. Um, I, that's, that, that, that is extraordinary. You're, 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 you're quite right about that, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, you know, to, you know, people said lots of things about what Tommy is, but in, in one way it's very much about being a pop star, what's a pop star and what's the relationship that pop star to, 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 to its audience. Right. You know, so that's, I think that's really fundamental to what Tom, Tom is, Tom is about, but yeah, who set out, which I don't know if you've, if it's come out in all its glory in the States or yeah. CDs and everyone, uh, every, yes. <laughs> everyone is talking about it. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's phenomenal. It is really, it is just a phenomenal record. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, and I, I mean the stuff that they left off is, is 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 in some cases much better. I mean, how yeah. they could leave Jaguar off and put Silas Stingy on it, I don't know. So they made some bizarre, bizarre choices all the way through their career. But um, so even in its original form, it's it's marvelous, and um, in its ex- extended form, it's terrific. You know, to speak about the Who sellout. Um... You know, I'm from the generation of, of that generation that if you do music for a commercial or, or for a company, mm-hmm. you sell, you're selling out, you're selling out your soul. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 you're making a deal with Satan. Yeah. The who sell out. <laughs> 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 they go out of their way to sell out. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that is such an important aspect of the album is that, the, can, you, can you talk about the commercialization and the commercials on that album? Yeah, well, um, I mean, you know, they, they, they were, most for the most part, they were dealing with things that they actually themselves consumed, whether it was rotor sound strings or mm-hmm. premier drop 
rights um, or the spaces that they, um, you know, uh, they, you know, they went to the speak, you know, the the, the, the nightclubs of Bagginals or the Speakeasy. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a kind of there's a kind of you know, and Townsend did drive a, a Jaguar. You know? mm-hmm. I love that song. John Mason, yeah, I I, I really do, uh, and um, you know they. They weren't far off being pimply ad- ad- adolescents themselves. So, so there's, a re- there's, a, there's a real kind of sense of this is not just, they're not like advertising executives. They're, they're consumers right. as well. You know? And so I think that one of the things they're doing is, is, is they're talking about the, what, it is to be a con- what it is to be a consumer. Yes. Um, but also they're, 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 they're creative. They're artists. They're musicians. Mm-hmm. They're in band. And they're, they're making art, but they're also making art that is to be sold. And this is, you know, mm-hmm. this is, this is, if you like, the kind of contradiction that they're constant. They've they've worked on really since my generation, which is that that um, they're a pop group first and foremost, and pop groups get sold. Right. They get sold through these kind of commercial channels, these 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 these, these ways of advertising or whatever appearing mm-hmm. on television programs. Um, um, and so they're ultra, ultra conscious of that and also ultra critical of, of, of that. Right. Um, rather than say, you know, look, you know, you know, this, this, this is, this sullies me, this dirties me, this, this, um, belittles me, this diminishes me being in a, in a, in a pop group, <laughs> they, mm-hmm. you know, they just smash it up. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you can do with that then? Right. <laughs> it's like what they do with commercial art is destroy it. Right. What, what, what did Warhol do with it? What did Lichtenstein do it? Klaus Oldenburg, what did they do it? They put it on show in a, in, 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 um, in, you know, in a, in, in a gallery mm-hmm. and sold for vast sums of money. Mm-hmm. Who sold their products for very small amounts of money. Anyone could, any teenager could, could, could afford them. But more than that, they showed that he just didn't care. Mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. Um, commercial products and i think that's one of the things that's going on with their acts of auto destruction is that they're they're um um they they are they are literally seditious consumers you know they 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 they're, they're treasonous lastness in in the way that they consume mm-hmm. it's just you know i'll have that and then you know, right. i'll drive into a swimming pool Right. Of course. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's you the know, contradictions it's, that are so interesting. Yeah. 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 So one of the things I talk about is is the way that pop itself is on a kind of continuum. And this is, comes from a, 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 a theorist who is very crucial um, to talking about um, pop in 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 in, in Britain. Uh, and um, it's this, this idea of a continuum. So you're at one end to say the continuum, you can have the the MC5 mm-hmm. policy. And, and rock and roll, and then the other end you have the the monkeys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they both sell product. Mm-hmm. So how different is the MC5 to the monkeys? Right. So mm-hmm. on the continuum, where do you know if if the monkeys then make a a film, which is basically a visual version of the Who set out called Head, right? Mm-hmm. That comes a lot later, but it's just doing the same thing, isn't it? Right. They're, they're kind of it's a meta story about them, themselves as. As a, puppet. They're like a they're, they're they're a product themselves. They're a product themselves, and mm-hmm. they talk about that 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 process of being a you know what it means to be be a product. Does that bring them closer to the MC5? If the MC5 do a cover of um, 
Tutti Fruity by Little Richard, does that bring them back closer to the monkeys? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? So, and, and I think who play along that line, uh, it's not a, it's not a, it's, these aren't fixed points that they, mm-hmm. they're constantly moving pro, along along this line. And and ha- and what they do as they make, make those moves is what's really interesting. Right. Mm. You know, I have always liked the Who a lot, but it wasn't until I read your book that I started loving the Who. Oh. <laughs> I, I started loving the Who about a week ago because of your book. <laughs> <laughs> I knew all the albums. I know all their music. You know, yeah. I was I, I was sort of in this the frame of like the Kinks versus the Who, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of understandable, but I think totally foolish and and mm-hmm. and wrong for me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's it, it. What's interesting about what I didn't realize about when I'm thinking about Pete Townsend is. Um, you know, he wrote about youth, but he wrote about it in such a articulate. And again, he's this extremely articulate writer in person. And yeah. the way he writes about youth, it's usually dealing with sometimes like sexual exploitation mm-hmm. from a grown up or by adult to a you know to a younger person. Mm-hmm. Uh, gender roles, you know, confusion about your gender or gender uh, issues of gender, as mm-hmm. well. You know, like pictures of Lily is I, I think is a song about masturbation. Yeah, um, yeah. But it goes that you know, I always thought, okay, pictures of Lily, I get it on the wall, masturbation. But the key yeah. thing to I you know, I start when I was reading your book and I did a little, you know, start reading his lyrics, it's interesting the fact that this picture of Lily is an old picture of, of a person who died in nineteen twenty nine. And I think, well, to, you know, to get all that in a, in a three-minute song, is pretty amazing. Like he's giving, he 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 has erotic feelings for this pinup, this photograph of Lily, and mm. who's been dead for like decades. And it's uh, you know, it's sort of a. <laughs> <laughs> his dad gives him the pictures, and his dad gives him the picture. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why it's from 1929. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must be. Yeah, it is. Oh my god, I. I I didn't think of them. Source material for the dad first. <laughs> yeah. So the father, the father gives it to the to the son, and the father was probably turned on by Lily as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Change to their sons. Yeah. My head is swimming right now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's before he had therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, Nick Cohn comes up a lot in the book. He seems mm, to be yeah. sort of your guardian angel throughout this book. And yeah. he's an equally interesting and contradictory person. So tell us a little bit about his relationship with The Who and and his importance to you. Yeah, I, th- th- yeah. well, he, he became the means by which I could tell a story without feeling that I was simply repeating the story of The Who. So uh-huh. he, he, he allows me to, 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 to tell a story, and I think in a... Uh, uh, somewhat more original way than it's been, you know. I mean, there's been lots of original takes on the Who, but but anyway, for a new book, something different. So he's he's really important to me. He becomes a kind of guide, someone that's um, uh, 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 going to keep me questioning what it is that the Who are doing, rather than simply a- 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 accepting whatever they put put before uh, before me or before their audiences. Um, there was a I, the first review of the book was um, I think it was in the Library Journal, which was very which was a lovely review, really positive. But the the writer, the the, the, the reviewer 
couldn't really figure out why I spent so much time with Nick Khan. And um, I was talking to a friend about this, and he said, well, because he says, no, Nick, Nick Khan's absolutely essential. You know, you did the right thing. He said, Nick Khan is the audience. So he's the stand-in, if you like, in the book for for, for, for the audience, the, the, the audience that's having a kind of ongoing conversation with um, Pete Townsend, Keith Moon, and John Entwistle and Roger Daltrey. So I think he's, 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 to me, really a really important element. Um, and then beyond that, I just think he's an extraordinary critic. In the same way that Manny Farber was for, mm-hmm. for film, he, he was for pop music. Um, his, his father was um, uh, a very eminent um, um, historian. So he comes from a you know a very educated background. I, I I don't think he went to to university though. He obviously he obviously, he obviously rebelled against his, his his background and um, ended up in London working for the as a as a as a journalist commenting on, on on pop culture. But he very quickly has this very kind of contrary view of what pop of what pop could be and what it should be. Mm-hmm. So not he's he, he you know he doesn't take. As a given, what he what he's supposed to um, uh, like or, or or enjoy. So, if, if you want to understand Nick Khan, I think you have to recognise that he, he he's the first of the kind of cultist uh, uh, pop critics. So you know he he can celebrate PJ Proby, who is completely awful. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, I can understand why he likes him, but he's completely awful. He brings <laughs> razzmatazz and showbiz and bigness and. Mm-hmm you know, excess to a kind of, a, you know, sleepy England in the early 1960s. But he, he can absolutely celebrate him. Yeah. <laughs> it's Bob Dylan as a, as, right. you know, as a whiny irritant. <laughs> so, like, so, I mean, basically what he, what, what he becomes is the model for all of those enemy critics in the 1970s, right. like Nick Kent, who just couldn't, you know, wouldn't have existed without him. I'd, I don't think, uh, and for any others that you know followed in Kent's um, footsteps. So I, th- I think he's the absolute foundation of, of, of British um, rock critics, pop critics. Um, um, I, I don't think any history of, of, of pop criticism could ignore him. I, I love Nick Cohn. I've been you know, I've been reading him for you know some years now. It's hard to find his books in America. You know you have to really track them down. But um, what impressed me about Nick Cohn is that he gets like the big picture. It's not like it's not about music. It's about everything that comes with that music. Yes, and you know he sort of gave the Who, or wrote about the Who, sort of a big canvas. You know, he sort of like presented, and same as Kit Lambert in a, in, a, in a similar way, gave Pete and the guys a, a big canvas to work on. You know, like you're not just doing music. You know, it's not about the record. It's about everything. That's right. I think I, do, I think he does see the bigger picture, and I think he's you know really acuity. But I also think he sees the the, the, the detail. Yeah, the, the cut of a pair of trousers. Yes, a, a, a total. You know, he's a total mod icon of sorts, right? But That's it, right. but I think he likes PJ Proby not because of his music per se, but because of sort of the legend, the story of him being American who came to Britain and became a big mm-hmm. star, and you know the ponytail and the tight pants, and you know. It's it's the whole narrative of a rock star that interested him at the time. Yeah, I think yes, and you know, it's this this you know, <laughs> this idea of you know that uh, 
they, they, they're allowed to do things that mere mortals aren't allowed to do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, uh, and I just thought, yeah, there's, there's great pleasures. You know, he understands what pleasure is about, I think, pleasure in pop. Uh, yeah. You know, the other key writers of that time are like Ray Davis of the Kinks. Do you see any parallels between Ray and Pete's work or writing or any type of relationship between them? I don't, I don't think they're, I don't know what their personal relationship is, but it's like this on the musical landscape. Yeah, I, 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 I think they watched each other quite keenly. And I, well, certainly Townsend was watching what um, Ray Davis was doing. Um, songs like See My Friends, you know. You yeah. Just the relationship between, uh, in their works, not their personal life, but, but you know, the works of Ray Davis and, and Pete Townsend, they, you find them, they do relate to each other in some, in some fashion. Yeah, I, 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 I think there's a, there's a, there's a picture of um, Pete Townsend in his, in, in uh, the, the, one of the, in, in the, the set out box set. Um, and he's he's sitting in front of his record collection in his flat in Wardour Street, and he's got um, there's a uh, surfing safari uh-huh. um, by the by the Beach Boys, and then there's um, a Paul Revere and the Raiders album, and Charlie Rich Lonely Weekends, which I bet mm-hmm. in contact to him, um, and and some other things, you know. And I, I just think you know, this this is this is a guy that really, really <laughs> explores. The, the you know contemporary pop culture mm-hmm. pop music you know he's he he's a he's he's a fan too he's an, he he's 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 also an audience if if, yes. if you like and mm-hmm. um, and a very critical fan but 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 he's there and I'm sure he you know I'm sure he, he bought or got hold of every single King's mm-hmm. release and, and what's he doing you know this is a competition but also listening to it as a fan and finding things in there and I you know I, I, and in some ways, it, it would be like you couldn't imagine all of the kind of stuff around um, gender uncertainty and dissembling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, just doing it in a vacuum. No. It's almost like there must have been some kind of conversation going on between him and Davis, or or just went as they watched Mick Jagger, right? Or you know they went to see Jimi Hendrix. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's I can't believe there wasn't a conversation, even if it wasn't overtly about, you know, well, what do you think it means to be a boy or to be a girl or, mm-hmm. you know, to be great, gay or straight? Or what, what? I don't, you know, imagine it was those kind of conversations, but somehow or other they're, they're, they're speaking to one another, right, in, in, in the kind of codes of pop music, you know, you know yeah. great pop is written in code. Yes. We can, if, you're, if you're on the inside, you can, you know, you, you can understand. You can break down, and um, uh, it, it, it's, it's written for you. If, if you're on the outside, if you're too old, or you know you're not part of that culture, then it's it's opaque and um, right uh, obscure. Mm. But mm. so I do. I, I, you know, I just there's too many parallels between yeah. what Ray Davis was doing and, and what Pete Townsend was doing. But I also think the differences are just as interesting between yes. them. You know, because. Um, there's um, the, the, the kinks seem to be much more kind of singular in the way that they kind of in, in, in the path that they they, they follow than, than than the who for for, for a good while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was there's a there's a, a passage in, 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 in my book. Um, um, Ch- Charlie Gillett, uh, who was a yeah 
who who is a great historian of of, of um, American uh, rock and roll, mm-hmm. sounds of the cities, and making tracks about Atlantic, and he was a uh, regular reviewer in in the British press. Mm-hmm. 60s and then would go on to be a great DJ here and have his own record labels and stuff. But um, in, in, he was reviewing Tommy in the, the, the record um, mirror and he, he, you know, he said that um, one of the extraordinary things about The Who was that is their, the way that they assimilate a, a diverse range of American styles. Mm-hmm. And he says that they kind of they they, they incorporate the, the the chunky resentful guitar of Eddie Cochran. I love that resentful uh-huh. guitar. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, that captures Eddie Cochran, and you know, captures a lot of what Townsend's doing, right? Uh-huh. He says, "Omnis of the Beach Boys," and and I was listening to Rael uh, yesterday on the new set, and I thought, "Well, you couldn't have that song." It may be pretentious about something nobody else, under, apart from Pete Townsend, understands, mm-hmm. but it's you couldn't have that song with if, if if you hadn't been listening to the Beach Boys harmonies, right? Mm-hmm. It, it just, mm-hmm. it, Beach Boys, the harmonies on top of that, very Who sounding, but nevertheless, I mm-hmm. think. You know, the Beach Boys, and he says the tripping beat of Sandy Nelson and 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 uh, the rich guitar surge of the Ventures, uh, all combined with a, uh, a non-committal, unspecific West Coast vocal style. Well, I mean, you can argue about what mm. those what the influences are on 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 the Who, because I I wouldn't say it was a uh, West Coast vocal style. I'd say it was the the Everly Brothers and um, mm-hmm. and Tamla Motown have to be right there in the, in in in, in yeah the, for sure music and everything. Uh, and, and, and would continue way beyond them simply doing covers of these people's records, you know, right. fundamental, I, I think. So I, I think when you when you look at when you when we make these kind of comparisons and say, what, what, what you know, how close are they, you know, who, who's doing what and when? Um, it's also important to remember that they're also doing something else. And with all of this um, stuff in the mix, mm-hmm. all these American influences that are playing on them, which I think. Ray Davis gave up on very, you know, quite early on, around about the time of King's controversy. You know, they stopped making R&B records, really, and stopped right. making Ray Davis records. Um, mm-hmm. and, but The Who remained fundamentally London, English London, uh, uh, London, England. And um, and and so the, the Kinks just don't have that Americanness in the mix, but The Who do. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably one of the reasons why they would be a much bigger commercial success in the States than the, the Kings ever, ever would. I know that the Kings went into the 70s and had hits, but, but I, there's something going on there, those kind of, that mix of influences, I think. The Kings lost time when they, they were banned in the United States for like four or five years in the late 60s. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but the, the, the thing that I compared them is they're both observational writers you know they both write about characters in a very english to me and in a very british english manner Mm. and it's they're very and again ray davis is very specific and very articulate as well as pete is of Mm. course as we mentioned Mm. but the difference is i think ray talks about the little pictures the little things that actually are really important and i think pete talks about sort of bigger subject matter or or like sexuality or, you know, or, 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 you know, sexual exploitation or the means of, of society on a culture where Ray sort of talks about like the village green, you know, talks about mm. sort of quiet characters, but they're very yeah. similar in their skills and, 
and they're both brilliant. You know, both write brilliant melodies. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's 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 right. And I I do think there's a kind of point where they one of the points that I talk about in the book where they kind of intersect. I think is is, is around the single um, dogs, which yeah. didn't even get in the states, which I think is fantastic. It's, it's a great it's, record. Yeah, <laughs> I love dogs. You know, he's, he's obviously channeling is it you know Steve Marriott and Ronnie Lane as well. Uh-huh. As Ray Davis, it's, it's so about London. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's so not about being a teenager. Right. About, it's got no rock and roll in it whatsoever. No. Um, and because, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's part of a very small, um, there's not much else in, in that portfolio from, from, from Townsend and he, and he moves off. And I, I think one of you, you just talking and I think, again, it's like Ray Davis does, he, I mean, he would talk, you know, later on about his, um, you know, about, you know, music hall and performing and uh, being a star and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing the, 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 the television shows and stuff about it. Townsend, much more earlier, becomes kind of, you know, really kind of obsessed with what is the Who's relationship with its audience. Right. And, and you know, so even after Tommy, you know, the, the Lifehouse project, which becomes Who's, who's, who's Next, is all about... Uh, the band and its audience, and then Quadrophenia. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, it's, it's about the, the the band looking, staring at its audience, and the audience staring back at the band. You know, in the form of Jimmy, right? Uh, you know, who, who feels you know that um, um, he's being betrayed by the band, um, and mm-hmm. so I don't, you know, I I, I just uh, Townsend becomes really caught up with that idea in a way that I think, you know, Dave, Davis was much more happier in the village. Green. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ray Davis more, leave me alone. I'm in the village green. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The who, okay. The who technically in the sixties, were not really probably not compared to say like a George Martin record are not really well recorded. Yeah. In the technical sense. Right. Uh, there and and there's and they were produced by uh, Kit Lambert. Yeah. Uh, their manager. Um, I love this. I love Kit, Kit Lambert's production yeah. and what he puts into yeah. the uh, the records. But how that come to be? I mean, you know, they they definitely start with I think was an early producer. I think what's his name? Shell Tommy. Tommy is that his name. Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. He was a professional, good, you know, British rock. More than that, but a rock and roll, he knows how to make a rock and roll record. Yes. But Kit yeah, Lambert he, is not a rock and roll guy. So that's that's a difference. I mean Yeah, but then he but then he had Keith Moon, John Entwistle, and a really great singer Roger Daltrey to yes. never Pete Townsend. And I and I would guess that he kind of you know get, you know allowed them to do what they did best. You know, he didn't get in he didn't stand in the way. I can't imagine him imposing a particular idea on them you know if they if they weren't going to uh, uh if, if they didn't agree with him you know right um, I, I really can't see that and they are, and obviously he he, he he must have had an extraordinarily creative relationship with with with, with townsend uh, you know firing off ideas so their kind of extremes would meet uh, and then somehow or other you know the the, the excess of those extremes would be you know, the edges would be taken off. It would be made into a great pop pop record. Right. But yeah, but I, but but again, you, you know, you come back to just how badly managed. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, they were constantly touring in order to make money because they spent mm-hmm. more than they 
than they made. And so <laughs> the who, the who supported their managers? <laughs> you know, I just if you you know read um, Matt Kent and Andy Neal's book on 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 the kind of kind of the who day by day, they're constantly on the move, constantly touring. I mean, mm. all over the world in in sixty seven, sixty eight. It's nonstop. How they ever got time to actually sit in a recording studio and think something through, because it was, doesn't really happen until until Tommy. Right. You know, I know it's not as well recorded as maybe the as, as maybe the, 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 the Beatles were recorded, but I really love the sound of Tommy. I think it's got a. <laughs> I won't listen to. The, I'm not that interested in the story, but the sound of it, I think, is just great. I like the sound of uh, like the Who sellout. I think is this to me like now it's like a perfect album to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. You know, there's something about, um, I feel a strong presence of, of Lambert in The Who. You know, I, I, I'm one of those people who always felt the producer is like a really key member of the band or really, you know, like Andrew Lowe, Goldham, The Stones, George yeah. Martin with The Beatles, of course, you know, and then and Lambert was The Who. There's a very strong relationship. It's not, you know, it's not, I just think their presence is really strong in that organization. Yeah, yeah. As, as well as yeah. aesthetics as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't. You, 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 you hear very much, very little of Chris Stamp in anything. Actually, it's quite yes. interesting. I think he guarded the door so nobody come in and they'll go out. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, He's the tough guy. Setting up deals in the states or, or, or what yeah. have you. Yeah, but I, 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 yeah, I, I, he obviously was, and he obviously had the respect of the whole, the whole band as well. Yeah. Uh, not just not just Townsend. They all listened to him, and they they or, or I think they all, you know, to a certain extent liked being in his presence. You know, he was he, he was so uh, yeah. He is a, you know. But I think part of what what we might think of as a kind of um, a temporary creative alliance that these mm-hmm. people, often disparate kind of people come together and just for a very short time work really well together and yeah. then explain. Or just disappear, you know. And what's left is the work, right? Um, and and um, I think obviously Lambert, from you know between uh, from substitute through to I don't know through, through to the end of Tommy, you know, yeah. was, was part and parcel of that creative alliance, you know. Well, Lambert's the first one to convince, or not convince, but inspired Pete to write like the longer pieces, like a quick one. Yeah. Right. And and also he 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 inspired or given the idea that you can you can write an opera, a rock and roll opera. You can do yeah. Tommy. But also, uh, did Townsend live with Kit Lambert? Like, did he have his studio in Kit Lambert's house? Yeah, I think he had. Um, I think yes, he did in uh, in the earliest stage, and then had an, uh, 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 lost his virginity to Lambert's um, secretary or something. There is a kind of like so they live together, but. Uh, um, but I don't think they were ever lovers or anything. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, you know, they they were very very close. But Lambert really really mentored and and sponsored Pete Townsend and the Who greatly. Yeah, amazing relationship. Yeah, and I, I, I think if Townsend hadn't gone to art school, he hadn't had that extra bit of education, hadn't been open to uh, you know ideas, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it it, it it wouldn't have worked because you can't see that relationship. Uh, with Keith Moon <laughs> uh, and, no. and Lambert, or Daughtry and Lambert, or um, Entwistle and Lambert, it's, it, it's very much between him and Townsend. Yeah. Now, your background is predominantly writing about film. Did you find any differences writing about music versus film? Um, well, um, yes. It, well, uh, 
the process was very similar in the sense of the, you know, co the collecting of um, primary materials and, and letting the materials speak to me rather than trying to dictate to the materials what it, what they should be saying. Mm -hmm. So pre-selection of, of, of stuff so that you can, you know, the, the argument you, you, you started with is the argument you end up with. So I, I, I didn't know where I was going to end up with this project uh, any more than I did in any of the other ones I started. And, and there, it, it was about I wanted to bring a kind of intellectual rigour, uh, a scholarly rigour to, 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 to the book. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to make it um, accessible and, and, and readable. Um, this is the first book I've written for a non-university press, for a non-academic. Uh, mm. I, I would hope that my other books on outlaw motorcycle movies or um, blues and jazz in the 1930s Hollywood would, would, would be accessible to, or singing cowboys would be accessible to anybody. <laughs> but I'm also, yeah, I was also... Um, uh, you know, a, a, a professional academic. That and my primary audience was other academics, so um, mm. I needed to make a, a mark in that. Um, what I wanted to do with this book and, and with my subsequent work is to is to remain true to that idea of a of a rigorous scholarship, um, but also loosen up and, and find my own voice, um, so mm. that. Um, um, you know, the, the pleasure I have in writing is is, is also there in the, in, in, the, in the reading of the work. That's what I hope to do, and, and that's 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 really my focus uh, uh, for the next work as well. Ah, uh, can you give us a teaser of what you're working on? Yes, I'm curious. Well, it's done because <laughs> it's done. I don't know how I don't know how quickly it will, it will appear, but it's it's, it's written. Um, it's a it's a the, the the title of the book is called um, Pinups. Uh, 72 third generation rock and roll and uh, I'm not sure about the subtitle yet it's a bit long but it's the teenage wasteland of David Bowie uh, Iggy Pop Lou Reed okay uh, you'll be back on the show for that one yeah for sure <laughs> getting in our sweet spot there <laughs> so, yeah it basically the, 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 the part of the who that I really got excited about towards the end was the end was the conclusion I'm really very uh, I was very excited about the conclusion, what I had to say about what was going on in, in um, British uh, rock culture between um, 1972 and, and, and 76. Mm -hmm. And I just felt that it was a story that hadn't properly been told. I mean, everybody knows the story of David Bowie or Roxy Music or the mm -hmm. New York Dolls, but um, I wanted to put it into the kind of the context of um, uh, the way it was um, um understood and received at, at, at the time mm -hmm. not a so not a not biographies of these people but uh, again i don't have a kind of nikon figure that helps me kind of negotiate and travel uh, uh, with with these characters but um uh, the, the 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 critical writing at the time on how they um are, 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 what the scene looked like is 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 is, is crucial to the story I want to tell. Mm. So yeah, so it's 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 a story that goes from um, uh, Mick Farron and the Underground, and then goes on to um, Mark Boland from Tyrannosaurus Rex into T Rex, and that, that kind of pop explosion in 1972, and then the speed at which David Bowie comes onto the onto the scene. Now all, all behind this is is the Who. Right. I think they. Right. on everything but I don't spend an awful lot of time talk, talking about that and then Iggy Pop and um, the Stooges and Lou Reed in exile in London in 72 what the hoople 
um, Flaming Groovies and, and the New York Dolls make a brief appearance in 72. So I, I kind of then go on to talk about um, uh, Bowie's three key albums for that from that period and Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin Sane and Pin Ups, uh, which is my favourite of the of the three, uh, and then um, rock music and, and the New York Dolls, and that's the end. Mm. Kind of bring it up to 76. Great. Well, I'm excited to read that for sure. <laughs> yeah, me too. yeah, it's been an exciting process writing and and, and uh, researching that one. That's for sure. Oh, great. Yeah, it's great. You know, you're, you're, this is all, this is all like my generation. I grew up listening to you know Bowie, Lou Reed in the '70s. I was a teenager at the time, so or late teenager. So mm. it's it's something that's of course very uh, important to me. Yeah, I'm yeah. happy. I'm happy you're doing this book. It's great. Or, or you wrote this book. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I you know, it was. It, it's, it's, I don't know what else to do in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Thank God for lockdown. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Gotta look at the silver linings, right? <laughs> That's the only one I can think of. But yeah, <laughs> get on and do this thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, fantastic. Yeah, so the so the who so have been great to me. They've been very um, uh, they've been very giving and um, very generous. And um, I, I, you know, I I felt that um, spending time with them, uh, um, you know, it's it's just been totally worthwhile. I just think you know, you said, you know, you were a fan before, but you fell in love with them after reading yes. the book. And and I, in writing the book, I fell in I fell in love with them. I just thought, wow, they're just, they're just so much more complex and interesting and, and exciting than I ever imagined they would be, you know, and, and right. I think the legacy that they left for, 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 for rock and pop culture is just extraordinary. You know, I think um, I, 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 I was so excited about the, this, the, the, the kind of like the, the arc that the story mm -hmm. I told had starts in, um, Wardour Street in 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 Soho with mm -hmm. with with odds and, and, and young people mm -hmm. finding themselves finding their own identity uh, with and through the Who, mm -hmm. and then right through to seventy six when the kind of the Who become uh, well they're just I, I, I you know mega stars and, right. uh, and then um, from 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 out of the gutters and sewers and the alleys and. Uh, Back ways of uh, right. uh, so this this whole new generation comes along, that in many ways is just a kind of mirror image of what they were right. in or sixty five. Fascinating. So the book is a band was built in hate, the Who, from pop art to punk, and our guest is was Peter Stanfield. Peter, thank you so much. It was such a fascinating uh, discussion. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. It's been brilliant. Brilliant to be with both of you. We would love to have you back again when your book, when your 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 book about Bowie and Lou Reed and pinups comes comes out. It'd be great. Absolutely, absolutely. Very much looking forward to that. Oh, I should come again. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Definitely. What's next? So next time we are going to be going in a completely different direction. We're going to be reading a new book called Liner Notes for the Revolution: The Intellectual Life of Black Feminist Sound by Daphne A. Brooks. I'm Great. a big fan of uh, her writing, so I'm looking forward to this. Fantastic. Um, and uh, everybody can uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter for all the latest news. 
We've got playlists for every episode on Spotify and Apple Music, and you can find links to everything on our website at bookmusic.com, B-O-O-K-M-U-S-I-K.com. So thank you, everyone. Thank you. See you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.